Breaking the 180, the podcast where we dissect every frame, film trend, and box office fad. I'm Sebastian Carrasco. And I'm Al Renhifo. And this is part of one of our, you know, little sub-series known as... Do we recommend? Which is basically exactly what it sounds like. Uh, We'll try and cover the newest releases almost as soon as they come out and basically give our general thoughts on the film and uh, if it's worth seeing, especially for films that might have gone under the radar. Uh, Slightly under the radar. Slightly under the radar might have come out, let's say, in May of 2022. and I can't even believe the year's almost over. Think about it. We only have... What four months left? In I know, I know. Twenty twenty two, that's nuts. Uh, so we're going to uh, discuss today or tonight, depending on when you are listening to this episode. Uh, yeah, a film that came out back in May that uh, at the time did receive a bit of hype because of the reputation of its director, Alex Garland, and of course we're talking about men. But what about men? Men! We don't know what we did. Well, did we like it or not? <laughs> but, oh, well, the, the movie. Oh, the, I thought you were talking about, you know, about, that, about, that all men are bad. and. Well, that's the advice I give my sibling. I, t- I tell her no, that all no. men are indeed bad. But, but uh, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're talking about the film uh, called Men. <laughs> Something happened. My husband went upstairs to our balcony and let himself go. You must wonder why you drove him to it. Directed by Alex Garland. Um, For those who might not be familiar with this guy, uh, he has written films like, uh, I think he wrote 28 uh, Days Later. Yes, yes. Uh, Um, He also wrote the movie Dread. Dread, yes, and then uh, moved into directing, which is really where his reputation uh, gained steam with the 2015 sci-fi film Ex Machina, which is one of the best sci-fi films of the last uh, decade it, or so. It's it's quite remarkable. It's quite remarkable not only on its own merits, but for someone's first gig at directing to make a movie that it lingers with you. Yeah. I mean, I saw it 2015 is 7 years behind us and it's still something I think about all the time. I rewatched it uh earlier this year in preparation to watch Men and yeah, I was impressed with how the film worked even better uh, for me watching it 7 years after it it first premiered. It's such an atmospheric but intelligent take on this idea of artificial intelligence on humanity moving towards creating android doubles of ourselves it really is a a a very interesting piece of film it's right up there with the best work of philip k dick Um, i would even uh, boldly say isaac asimov it's that kind of science fiction and um of course one of the 
aspects of the film that's still widely discussed is Oscar Isaac's performance. He's he's so good in the movie as this kind of amalgam of Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos who creates this little artificial uh, world of of androids. But you know what? We won't spoil more about that. If you haven't seen the movie, all we can say is go rent it now or go get a Blu-ray copy. Uh, it's on Amazon. I think you can rent it on Amazon for a, a pretty reasonable And then a, a few years later... Uh, Alex Garland came out with his sophomore film, which, I mean, especially if you make a very successful first film, the follow-up is really where oh, yeah. critics have their eye. Are you a one-hit wonder or, yeah, like, like or, or are you the real thing? Which, which unfortunately got its release was bungled by the studio, I think Paramount, because they really had no idea how to sell the film. It was one of those, and it's called Annihilation. Um, I will say right off the bat, it's it's an excellent uh, sci-fi film as well. It's not a repeat of what Garland did with Ex Machina. It's actually something different. It's based on a novel. And, I again, I, I don't want to make too many bold comparisons, but it's almost like a, a more pop or popular take on kind of Tarkovskian sci-fi. Uh, and it's it's visually immersive, and Natalie Portman gives one of her best recent performances, and it's it's dreamlike and nightmarish and speculative. Well it combines it combines the the beauty of you know science fiction with with the nightmare of science fiction. It finds this finds this wonderful yeah. balance. For me, did I like it more than Ex Machina? No. Is it because it's a bad film? Absolutely not. It's just because Ex Machina, it, it hit a home run, oh, yeah. in my opinion. But it's still excellent and something that should not be understated, which almost nobody talked about, the few people who did see it. The whole cast is comprised of women, and there's absolutely no cringy women-get-it-done dialogue. Oh, there's, yeah. There's actually very intimate... Uh, the director's not mansplaining dialogue. to his characters, basically. Um, and, of course, uh, there's that, that great music score as well in the movie. And you're right. It's not better than Ex Machina, but what's what's notable is that it's a worthy follow-up to Ex Machina. It's not, it's not a case of a director who makes an acclaimed debut and then they follow it up with something utterly disappointing. On the contrary, this is a follow-up that... Yeah, it, it may not overdo or outdo the original film uh, by Garland, but it it it's a worthy follow-up. It proves it yeah. proves he has the chops. It proves that he can produce spectacle, and I don't necessarily mean like Avengers spectacle, but the visual yes element something grand something, something grand yeah. operatic in that sense, but also tell a cohesive story that weaves very powerful themes in in a way that doesn't hit you over the head with great understated performances and also some terrific sequences. I'll just say there's there's a particular moment with a bear which It's a lot gone of, a bit viral <laughs> it which people it. refer to. That's how yeah. you might have heard of heard of the movie. Alex Garland also is um, I think he's in the middle of shooting a film called Civil War, 
Oh, yes, yes. Uh, well, and, uh, after Annihilation, though, to circle a little bit back to his career, uh, he followed that up with uh, dipping his toes into peak TV. In March 2020, he released an FX series called Devs. Yes, with yes. Nick Offerman, right? Yes, and it's a, and it's own. It has his usual uh, evocative, slightly unnerving style, but applied to the world of tech and this whole kind of insulated uh, world that these tech companies have built up in places like Silicon Valley, and it's just as uh, intellectually stimulating and dramatically challenging as his other movies. And it's a, it's a good one to binge uh, if, if you want something uh, to get away from the heat from right now to just binge uh, that'll, that'll make you think, but that'll also um, shake you up a little bit. Uh, I believe you can watch it on Hulu, Devs, because it's an FX, FX series. That one was pretty good. And it was done with his usual team of collaborators, including the DP, Rob Hardy, who tends to be the one who gives... Garland that particular look. So you have that special marriage that happens sometimes between specific DPs and directors. He's a ve- I, he's a he's a cinematographer that one of these days it might not be this year or next year, but sometime in the next ten years he's going to win an Oscar. Oh, he's going to take it. Yeah, he's he's definitely because the thing that's so beautiful. I mean, you have someone let's say like Deacons or um, uh, I Bob always forget Richardson. the I, I always forget the guy that um that worked with Spielberg. Oh, uh, that's a uh, it's a it's a Polish guy. I know. Uh, we're so sorry if we forgot. But where where it's it's yeah. very bold and in your face, yeah. not in a bad way, but it re- their their language and their texture really is sticks out. It's very rich and and it's picturesque, but it's it's it also it doesn't call attention to itself because it what it does is it, it elevates the material it tells the story and the thing i like about hardy is is he finds a really lovely balance between un- understated but also like when it's time to focus on a particular shot you're like okay this this is just he shot, unbelievable. He shot the last Mission Impossible too the last right? two yeah, yeah. yeah the i last mean two, yeah. i remember when i when we saw fallout in theaters i was like Wow! Yeah, like, like this, like, this is one of the best <laughs> looking Mission Impossible films, ever. and it was shot by that guy. Yeah, that I'm thinking of that scene where Tom Cruise is meeting someone in it's like a nightclub or something. Yes, and the way yes. that that soft lighting and those rich tones. Now he's a great DP, and he's gonna he's going to definitely get his deserved um, awards soon. And uh, we can use that to segue into how Hardy just also shot the film we're going to talk about, Men, um, which came out earlier this year. It's Alex Garland's attempt essentially to make a commentary on misogyny and the nature of it. And I know Sebastian will throw a chair at me if I spoil too much. But I, we 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 promise the whole point of the, these shows is yeah. that we rec we just recommend or don't that you check it out. Yes, yes. and <laughs> I know right away for our viewers, I'm going to say this is one of the best movies of the year, and I think Alcee is not quite on this ship with me. I, I, I will say the first half of the movie had the potential of being one of the year's best. For me, it falls apart after the the second act. 
But to to slightly recap a little bit without spoiling too much, the main character is a woman named Harper, played by Jesse Buckley, who has rented a stately manor out in the English countryside because she needs to get away from London um, after having lived through an abusive marriage that ended pretty tragically um, in a suicide. And it's not a spoiler because they, they make this clear early on in the in, film. In the first uh, 10 minutes. so Yeah, exactly. And at the, at the manor, she's greeted by the caretaker, uh, Joffrey, who's played by Rory uh, Keenar. Rory Kinnear. Kinnear. Rory Kinnear. Terrific British actor. Yes. You've seen him. In many things. In yeah. many, many things, including the, the Daniel Craig James Bond films. Oh, yes. He's, he's fantastic. He's played Tanner. So you've seen him a lot. But. He's, he's And this one, I will actually, off the bat, give attention to the merit that this is probably his, his best performance. I, I You know, in terms of the, the multiplicity of roles that he has to play. And we'll yes. get more into that yes. later. Um so essentially, Harper's grappling with her trauma, uh, but as soon as she gets checked into this um, rental, which is this op- this this really great manor, and Joffrey, you know, he seems like a nice enough chap, very jolly. She soon realizes there's something strange about the place. You know, she goes out for a walk in the lush woods and sees some strange happenings, including a a nude man who happens to to look like quite a bit like Joffrey seeming to, you know, circle the premises. Um, she calls the police, who also look a lot like Joffrey. And uh, even the local vicar uh, has some similarities to him. Um, essentially, she's in a town of men uh, who all kind of carry these hidden rages and impulses that she comes face to face with. And so Garland is establishing an environment that gives you a sense of what it's like, essentially, to be a woman in literally a man's world in in this film. And and speaking yeah. of the the multiplicity, I think one of one of the elements that I really liked is, um, for one, I think Alex Garland proves that as a you know I don't know if he's straight, but let's just say the typical vanilla guy. You can make as, a film as a ab- dude, yeah, <laughs> about dude. about almost anything yeah. if you bring, I don't know, a sense of intelligence and sincerity empathy. and empathy. Empathy. And yeah. one thing I liked very much is this film. He kind of off the bat, he already gets out of the way. Okay, oh, this is a a, a film where all men are bad. It's like if that's what you got from the film. You 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 definitely missed the point. Yeah. What I think he's actually talking about are, from a woman's perspective, the certain behaviors and characteristics that build up to this idea of toxic masculinity. And we're not we're not necessarily talking about, you know, domestic domestic abuse, which obviously is horrible, but certain things like with Jeffrey the chauvinistic guy who who has to carry all the bags uh he feels like no he uh, he has to do it when in reality he can't even when harper the main character says oh oh i can help you it's not a big deal or the cop who dismisses uh the idea or dismisses the guy who's charged with 
stalking her. Or hell, the fact that um, in, I, I think, a sequence that we would both agree is mm. pretty terrifying and really fantastically set up where Harper's going on a walk and she goes into this tunnel and she she creates this song using the echo of the tunnel and I the I guess using the film grammar one can allude that this naked bohemian looking guy starts uh stalking her because of her the sound of her voice yes like, there's th- uh... those certain things I I think were very very well implemented See, I think I would say that the uh, what's successful about the film in those passages is precisely that Garland, early on, establishes a sense of environment that gets across the ideas well. So that scene where she's walking through the tunnel, I think, is an effective expression of something you hear all the time, right, about... Uh, the the danger uh, women face when they uh, are alone or walking through certain er- I mean in in this right now in Los Angeles we're having to deal with a lot of warnings being issued um, about uh, assault and and crime uh, going up and there is actually Chris Hedges wrote an article recently about uh, a a rising tide of femicides around the world. Uh, so I think that scene in the tunnel captures that terror very well of how uh, a woman shouldn't have to feel terrified about going for a walk out in the woods. But in her case, because she's in this terrain that seems fully inhabited by men, uh, all of a sudden a walk in the woods is shredded of its sense of safety. So and I think serenity it, and serenity. Well. And, and one thing I want to touch on which you'll hear in the news all the time, whether it's low or high profile, is that no matter what a woman does, right, whether it's just the fact that she's singing a song or how she's dressed, that somehow that is the justification for why a man can stalk her or assault her. I mean, this is rhetoric that we've heard time and time again. And I think that's one thing that particular sequence touches upon. Yes, it, it, it does it very well. Or when she seeks help. From the uh, to to get away from the stalker, yes, and the police kind of just dismiss it as, uh, well, I mean, he wasn't really doing anything. Did he touch you? Did he, you know, I mean, did he actually attack you? Uh, you know, that kind of frightening dismissal of someone feeling uh, in danger. That is all effective. Um. And of course, the performances are are excellent. Um, you know, Buckley is is a fantastic uh, actress. Well, um, I, I want to touch upon that. Yeah. I throughout the film, once again, we won't give spoilers, but just some context. We learn a bit about why she's going to the countryside. Um, and boy, though, for me, I mean, as as we talked about even before going on yeah. on on this podcast. You know, I very much love this film, or at least one of the lending to me thinking it's one of the best movies of the year. But one of the elements is when you get the glimpses into what happened and why she needs to kind of find some peace and serenity. And the scenes between her and her husband from both her and this actor, uh, Papa Esiadu. Sorry if I butchered your name. I mean, that 
that is some powerhouse acting. Well, it's very good. Uh, yeah, those scenes are, are excellent because they do capture the, the gaslighting that goes into certain toxic relationships. And it captures very well the, the sheer terror of being uh, in a relationship where you essentially are become, you become an emotional hostage. Uh, and if you see the film, you'll see clearly what me, what we mean. But it's this idea of coercing her to remain in the relationship by being the partner who also threatens himself. You know, like, if you leave me, this is going to happen. You know, if you do this, then I may just have to hurt myself. And Garland touches on something very keen in those scenes. Now... My issue with the film is that going into the second act and into the third act, the film, I think, kind of loses its focus not on what it's trying to say but on how it's it's saying it. I think Garland falls into the trap of becoming a bit of a, uh, you know, he's trying to play this typical postmodern kind of wannabe surrealism game of splashing a lot of curious images at you that are well-framed and, and well-constructed but without clearly giving them logic or, or origin or even clear meaning. So uh, I can start, for example, with the naked man, the naked stalker. What the heck is he? What, like what is like what what is what is he? So yeah. I can't answer this because so this is where this is this is where we disagree. This is where we disagree. Okay. And we once again we're yeah. not going to spoil anything that happens in the yeah. second half. I'm just going to say I thought it was a it was a perfect encapsulation of the points it was trying to make. But with the uh, with the the I call him the Bohemian, but apparently he's called the Green Man, which is a, a part of. Um, like uh, uh, old old myth, apparent apparently, this kind of slightly mystical guy. Um, like in the in the when she actually goes into the church, there's that little stone with yes. that face on it. That's supposed to be the green man, and the the naked man is supposed to represent that that figure. But you had to research this after seeing the movie. Correct. Okay. So the film does not even properly tell us what the heck it these characters are, which I think is again it's a very typical thing in in, in postmodern genre filmmaking where um, instead of the images or the story clearly conveying something, the director is essentially saying, um, "I am such an intellectual powerhouse that if you do not comprehend my film." It's because, you know, you have not read whatever tome on rural English uh, folk uh, history that I took this idea from. Uh, so if you go Google this after you see my movie, you'll get it. And if you don't, well, I mean, tough or something. I mean, you know, However, it's, that's, I will that's pose the question because I did think about this and I, I do understand where you're coming from. However, is it isn't it good sometimes when films don't necessarily splash everything out for you. For example, I think if there's a scene when, I don't know, she goes on Google, like a lot of bad movies, they have the Google scene when they start looking up like, do vampires exist? 
like what would that have helped the film or what would, would that have well sure but but that's subtlety you know subtlety in a, in a narrative is is great it's it's fine you don't want to be spoon-fed everything and you don't want the narrative to just be on the nose about everything that's why over exposition and dialogue tends to to kill a movie when everything is that's something i hate about for example aaron sorkin films right that in an, in an aaron sorkin film the voiceover tends to literally tell you everything that's happening even before it happens like molly's game which i'm sorry if any listeners out there are fans of that movie but but i thought it was complete pretentious nonsense and you know they literally tell you jessica chastain is going to buy a hotel before cutting to her buying the hotel in the movie so yes subtlety in a film is essential what garland though is doing here is something very typical to recent uh, other recent horror films i'm thinking of like saint Maud and these other postmodern horror films or um there was one also uh uh called uh uh are you I thinking believe. like saint Maud? yes saint Maud. but there was another one similar to it called i think uh the Other Lamb. Uh, these are films that uh, um, essentially construct curious images, but don't tell you what they are. You can essentially interpret them however you want. So if you don't know that the naked guy is this folk um, figure, on your own you can simply imagine, oh, I mean, he must be the god of misogyny or something running around these fields or or he just generally represents stalker syndrome like like he just generally represents uh, the idea of uh, a woman being stalked sure. by a male figure of some kind however i think that's precisely why the movie worked for me unlike cuz trust me i'd be the first person to 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 say a movie like it comes at night is about nothing there's nothing no, right, right. there. It's literally just random images, and that's where you'll hear people say, "Oh, you know, you just it can be about whatever the the tenuous theme of the film is." I think where this film works is there's a very clear sense of what she's experience, what she's experiencing, and where the story is going, and then adds these other elements. So when I saw it, even though I didn't know who the green man was, I could still follow that, okay, when she's meeting these different people, it 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 rattles her because right, they embody these different forms of toxic masculine traits. And uh as the stalker's released and nothing is done about it, she she becomes more frightened. And as the story develops into the second half, which you didn't like, you, you can follow all of that pretty well i wouldn't say that it's it's a sense of garland saying oh it could be about this or could be about that without any story well i, I like I, i'll put it this way the first half of the film i thought even worked in a kind of uh, almost david lynchian manner right where lynch creates these surrealist images meant to convey certain ideas and even if they're not rational they're still conveying something. They're they're conveying some kind. Then the way um, dream logic works, which is essential to surrealist art, the idea of of dream logic. But Lynch maintains a kind of focus with this dream logic all the way to the end. Men after the first half 
Garland then seems to be struggling with trying to figure out how to give some sort of resolution or um, meaning to these images. And of course, we don't want to spoil too much, but you know, the uh, the idea of all the men in the town kind of looking the same, and then the way the naked man plays into the logic of their world, it's never made really clear because, yeah, it then spirals into these weird, you know, wacky images where we kind of get a sense that the, yeah, that the naked man is some kind of otherworldly force. And then it all culminates with this, essentially the year's most bizarre birth sequence, which is, which is all I'll say, but it's, it's Oh, but I love that though. I, I thought it, it, it is the culmination of, of, all these themes that are set up throughout the film no, in, a, in a way, in a way, you know, as she's trying to mind her own business in the real world, these things unfortunately find a way of barging in and, and confronting you in 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 well, ways that you would have never asked for. Well, but it, it but it makes no sense i know <laughs> so you i know so you example, want to say so, i know you want to spoil it but we're, we're trying our best not there's to. even like uh uh there's even like you know he's trying to be witty by connecting a uh a particular injury in in the third act to another injury that that is connected to her uh her husband's suicide but again it's so cryptic and and it's and it's so um, I wouldn't even say it's that cryptic. It's highly I, cryptic. None of, none of these images in the third act make any logical sense. I mean, is the house haunted? Is it is it just haunted by misogyny? I guess that's the idea. The wacky birth sequence in the end. I guess it's just. I I get what he's saying about misogyny. I get what he's saying in in the film. It's the way he's saying it where it kind of just feels like a very pretentious art school or film student trying to show off like, oh, look how weird I can be. It's almost like, I'll put it this way. It's like these film students who think they're David Lynch, but they but they're not. And so it's like, look, I'm David Lynch. I'm gonna make a commentary on uh, misogyny by having a, a, a by animating a penis running around with a butcher knife or something. You know, it's like that's the kind of logic that Garland seems to be applying. Oh man, man. That, that's where we, that's where we'll be diametrically opposed. To me. <laughs> I I just did not because I'm I I'm the first person that when I watch a movie that's trying too hard to you know be ambiguous or try too hard to be heady I pick up on that right away and for me watching it I to me it 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 felt like the sincere culmination of the 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 thematic buildup of the film which. If we were doing spoilers, we would get into it way more. But that, yeah. for me, that's that's why I liked it so much, and that's why I would absolutely recommend it. However, with the caveat that this is not, this is not a film that you know, if you're bored on a Saturday, you just pop it in and All be right, like, yeah. Let, <laughs> "Let's oh, let's have a good time." It's it, also not a date movie. <laughs> I mean, what well, depends? I mean, if if if. 
It depends. Actually, that's that's a. It, that's, it's true. It, it, it depends. depends on the person, it but it, person, it's definitely yeah. not the casual kind of. And I don't say casual in a bad way, but you know, because um, um, a film like Pig, I would put in yeah. on a Saturday. This is not one of those films, but I think it is absolutely worth watching. I'll say at least Garland is making movies that um, would force a discussion. I think after the movie is over, it would be difficult not to want to discuss what it's trying to say, how it's saying it. I just think as cinema, it's not... I think it's successful for the first hour or the first 45 minutes. Then as cinema, it kind of derails. Um, so would you recommend it based on you know, your own experience to the film? What, what a general recommendation or I know it's hard, but <laughs> I'll say this. I, I, re- I recommend the first 40 minutes, but uh, I OK, I'll put it this way. I, I recommend it as an art house curiosity. That's that if you want if you're into something heady and challenging, watch it. Um, if if. You're not up for that kind of challenge, you know. Like if you're the kind of person that uh, you're just iron fisted and requiring a film to be lucid <laughs> and rational all the way to the end, um, skip. But I, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily dismiss the thing as garbage. You know, I I I, I would not dismiss it. When I tell people I don't recommend something, I, I mean it's it's because it's bad. Like you know, Slenderman. Or something. That's something you should just avoid at all costs. Don't even watch it for free. Uh, but men, I, I would recommend men as a challenging view, as as something to challenge yourself with. Watch it, see what you think about it. I, I think that is one of the interesting aspects of this kind of postmodern phase we're living in in cinema. Whether it's movies like The Green Knight or or Ari Aster's films, it's some are better than others. I like Green Knight, for example. I thought that was a, a good film. Not the masterpiece some people were claiming it was, but but it was good. I think there is at least some kind of fun intellectual exercise in how these movies tend to splash things on the wall. And it's up to you to interpret it. And it's up to you to really kind of tinker with what the director was trying to say. Um, it's not personally my kind of cinema, even though I'm I'm a big fan of surrealist cinema and 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 Hodorowsky and Buñuel and Lynch, and and um, uh, you know these these great uh, surreal filmmakers, um, Jean Cocteau, etc. But I I don't think Man is quite up there with those. But I would not I would not say don't watch it. I think it's good for discussion. And. I'd wholeheartedly agree. It absolutely, is a film that warrants good discussion, not outright dismissal. That oh my god, this just says men is bad, which is literally the few people that saw it. I would say yes, it does challenge you, but I would say it's also accessible enough that it has a story that you can follow that adds these extra elements that does warrant discussion. You know what? I will give Garland. Now that you mentioned some of the criticisms of the movie that that others have made in terms of this generalization that, oh, it it attacks men, uh, 
I still give Garland credit for not copping out and trying to satisfy that audience and giving us, I don't know, the authentic nice guy or the male savior that that pops in at some point in the narrative. He doesn't try to make us feel safe by saying, oh, no, 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 but but there is that nice guy in the neighborhood that's... Shows know, up good. with the shotgun and, yeah. and whatever. I, I, what, what I will say is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a couple lines from the movie, which is not spoiling the movie, but if you've seen it or want to see it and you get to that point, I think it, it will hit hard, which is a certain character, the last like few frames of the film, so, uh, Harper asks this individual, what do you want from me? And this character replies, your love. And it takes a beat, and she looks down, kind of resignation, and she just says, yeah. And that's how the film ends. And, and for me, I thought that was the, the kind of the perfect capstone to the film. Watch it so yeah. you see, see, see I what I mean. I wouldn't say perfect, but it's good. <laughs> now, but, I, will, I will add to that uh, I thought that was effective uh, how – what you said earlier about the criticisms, I actually think that is something genuinely effective, which is that it short circuits certain male sensibilities. I think when men say, oh, well, this just makes all men look bad, I think there is something good, at least in a movie, forcing us to uh, face these unpleasant truths about um, our behaviors, about our social relations, the social relations between the sexes. Well, it's the true sense of empathy. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I think, hopefully you would agree that, at least for a lot of the film you, you get from me, all of it is what it would feel like to just be in one woman's shoes for a day and to experience these range of behaviors from the extremes with the husband yeah. to the smaller things. And it does do that in a nuanced way, will I say it's the most nuanced? No, but it is pretty nuanced. And I would say that's where I'll leave it. I think the fact that we even had disagreements on how we felt about the film yeah. and the effectiveness in the, the storytelling in a way means that the film is doing its job. Maybe you disagree with that. But, uh, but, but <laughs> I, I, I... Well, I, I would say... I would say... I, I think Garland, because he's very talented and he's a skillful filmmaker, uh, I don't know if he wanted to provoke these kinds of disagreements, but it is a testament to the fact that his film has something to say. I don't think it has much to say in the third act. I think what I think what it's trying to say gets lost and derailed by the by the I'll I'll say hokey poser surrealism. Um, but <laughs> there is uh, there is still merit in the film, and and I think it is a testament to to Garland's skill that we're debating it. Whereas if this was just hokey nonsense all around, then we would just dismiss it like in, Slenderman. In the hands of a lesser director or a straight to video product, uh, this would have the whole film would have just been hokey nonsense. It yep. would have just been a bad uh, exploitation movie. Exactly. And this 
film is not that, which is why I like it. And on that note, we'll, we'll leave you with our thoughts. I wholeheartedly recommend it. I'll see. I half half <laughs> He recommends elements of the film. Yes. Um, but not the not the whole. I think, I re- I, again, I recommend the first half. But the third act is is still worth debating, I would say. It's still worth discussing. Um, why are we even discussing this movie now? Because Men is now available uh, for everyone to see on uh, Blu-ray and online uh, for purchase and rental. And in this dry spell yeah. of September, very dry uh, spell. we hope we can just bring to light uh, some very interesting uh, content. Something much more intriguing, uh, I will say, than uh, what's been coming out for the last two weeks. Certainly more than the Pinocchio remake on Disney, which is uh, not even worth discussing because it's exactly the same movie you've seen all your life uh, growing up. It's just a trace tracing over of the 1940 animated uh, classic. Uh, so at least men is, is good for genuine discussion. And on that note, thank you so much for tuning in for another episode of our podcast. Be on the lookout for our upcoming uh, first chapter on our big series on Michael Mann, where we're going to be discussing his filmography, his new novel, Heat 2, uh, which was published earlier this summer and a lot of other really exciting uh, elements about the director. And we'll even add our link to our YouTube channel where we will start posting our podcast. So we'll add, yep. we'll, we'll be filming our podcast. So we'll have the YouTube video as well as our usual Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So stay tuned for that. We'll leave our usual links in the description. And thank you so much for tuning in for another episode. Peace. And love.